Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Praise the Lord. Thank you, each of you, for being here today. We are in a series, as you just saw, on the water, on the water. With that being said, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, and I'm going to ask, if you're willing and able, will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, Luke 8. Verse 4, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said to you, It has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, those by the wayside are the the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with cares riches and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with the noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel and puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore take heed... How you hear. For whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd, and it was told him by some, who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into the boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy and they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. 
And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go, them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed, delivered. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the gatherings asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. I want to preach a message today titled, In Jeopardy. In Jeopardy. Before we're seated, let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus... And on that name, I ask Holy Spirit that you would find hearts and minds open to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That they're open to have ears to hear what your Spirit's saying and hearts ready to obey. I'm asking that the powers of darkness would be bound in Jesus' name. That where the Spirit of the Lord is, there would be liberty. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done in every life that's open. Make much of Jesus, Holy Spirit. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we read a large portion of text, but part of it there in verse 21, it said that Jesus and His disciples got in a boat. After He said, let us go to the other side, and it says, then as they sailed, He fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. Did you see that? were in jeopardy. When I read that, I couldn't help but think about my grandmother. My grandmother watches the game show Jeopardy every night. I know if I want to get her at that time, I know she's not going to talk long because she's every night watching Jeopardy. And I thought about, as I thought about the game show Jeopardy, I thought about how I've, in a, in a way, felt like I've been in the game show Jeopardy. What do I mean? Well, as a leader, people look to me for answers, rightly so. And I bet that in your life, you have someone that looks to you for answers to questions. And in the times we live in and what's currently taking place in our nation, I felt like I've been in a game of Jeopardy where if you're not familiar with it, they have a picture, we'll put it up. Across the top are different categories. And each category has questions related to that category that people, contestants, seek to answer and get right to earn potentially money and they get to take that money home if they win the show that day. And I have felt like I've been in a game of Jeopardy where across the top there's categories like coronavirus. 
than unemployment. And I, I feel like people's asking me, you know, and you know, normally they ask Alex, Alex Trebek, like, you know, uh, ologies for 800, Alex. I feel like people have been asking me, okay, uh, unemployment for 400, Pastor Chad. Or depression, suicide, church closures, racism, protesting, face mask, looting and destruction for a thousand, social distancing, and a very important one, but often forgotten, in the madness of the masses today is 2020 presidential election year. Except... I've not just felt like I was in a game of jeopardy. I felt like I've been in a cruel game of jeopardy. Because every time I think I know the answer to a question like, should we wear face mask or not face mask? The answer changes. I mean, it's like a cruel game of jeopardy. A cruel game. And if I feel like that as a follower of Jesus, then I know the masses who currently don't know the means to find stability and peace and quietness and assurance and rest, that truly the answer to every question needs to be undergirded with that simple, those of you that grew up in Sunday school or Bible school, that simple answer, but yet was the correct answer to every question, Jesus. 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 That it starts with Jesus. And here in our story, it says that they're in this boat and this storm comes down on the lake and now the boat is beginning to be filled with water and they were in jeopardy. Now, if you're not aware that water is used in Scripture all throughout as a metaphor and at times it's used as different metaphors, but one of the metaphors that water is used in Scripture is a metaphor for a culture. Meaning the ways of the world are the ways of the nations. Meaning the ideologies, the thinking, the practices, the behaviors, the opinions of the culture of the world are unbelievers. In fact, in 1 Peter 4 and 3 and 4, when the Apostle Peter writes his letter, he talks about the will of the Gentiles. Easy translation for you means he's talking about the will of unbelievers. Those that are not in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. And when he talks about the will and desires of unbelievers, he equates the will of the Gentiles as a flood of dissipation. Notice the connection that the will of unbelievers, a metaphor of their desires and will, is water, a flood. What about this one? You read in the book of Revelation, the visions given to the Apostle John in Revelation 17, he sees the great harlot. And the great harlot is a demonic entity. Being. And it says the great harlot sits on many waters. And the kings of the earth committed fornication with the great harlot. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with their fornication. Meaning, the great harlot sitting on many waters, the many waters representing the nations or the unbelievers of the nations. So water is used... The times to represent the will of those who are actually going contrary to the course of the ways of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the will and the pattern of Jesus. And notice in this story that natural water was filling the boats 
the boat that the disciples were in. And what I felt exhorted and, and prompted to declare today by the Lord is that as followers of Jesus, we are in jeopardy of being filled with water. I thought about that just as their natural boat was vulnerable to being filled with water when a storm arose and great winds blew, that you and I as followers of Jesus are also in jeopardy of being filled with water, but water in the sense of the ways, the will, and the attitudes of the culture around us. Here's the alarm bell and the exhortation today. That we are in jeopardy and we must recognize we're in jeopardy of the things of God being watered down. Of being watered down. In the intro, the first thing that we need to be aware of of things that's trying to get into the boat of God's people, and we'll talk about that, is a party spirit. A party spirit. A spirit that seeks to divide under labels. Labels that are outside of Jesus Christ. Notice in the story, in the text, that Jesus' physical mother and physical brothers came to see Him. And the people say, Hey, your mother and brothers are here to see you. And He looks at them and said, Oh, my mother and my brothers are those who hear and who do the will of God. Wow. Meaning there's an allegiance, Jesus says, to God's people that even supersedes an allegiance to natural commonalities. You remember Paul, he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, hey, you're acting like mere humans. He says, your carnality showing. That's a, that's a way of saying, your immaturity is becoming apparent. 1 Corinthians 3, and here's what he said. Some of you are saying, I'm of Paul. Party spirit. Others of you are saying, I'm of Apollos. Party spirit. And then he rebukes them. He looks at him and says, is Christ divided? Wow. Meaning there is this unity in Christ that supersedes any party spirit. Any of the party sectarian spirit of the culture around us, but we're in jeopardy of us getting in the boat of Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples. Here's another one. He says, it's those who hear and do the will of God are my brothers. Are my brothers. My brothers, can I tell you that a most important need for you and I in the day we live in is to hear God? Is to hear the Father and our King Jesus and the voice of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Pastor Chad, how do I learn to hear from God? Here's the first way. You ready? You draw near to Him. James 4 is a promise that in the new covenant, if you will draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. Meaning, if you don't spend time with Him by drawing near to means of how He communicates, prayer, talking with Him in His scriptures, singing to Him, then it's very difficult to hear from Him. It's like expecting, if you're traveling on vacation or for your job, it's like expecting to hear live preaching from dwelling place but you're not on our Facebook page. You're on another church's Facebook page. 
Meaning, it's difficult to hear from God if we're not drawing near to God. Secondly, memorize and, or learn and memorize what God has already spoken. God has already communicated all that we need for life and godliness, according to the Apostle Peter. And we have to become familiar and memorize what God has already said through Jesus and through His Word. Meaning, become familiar with His Word and become familiar with His ways. Then, you ready? Invite and ask the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear and eyes to see. Did you see in that context that Jesus cries out, let him who has ears to hear, hear. But others, their eyes and heart remains closed, not because God doesn't will them to have open heart and open eyes. It says they don't will to have open eyes and open hearts. And we'll talk about that because Paul says that people who are given over to lying wonders and deception is because they do not love the truth. They just want to hear what they want to hear. We're going to talk about that. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit must be invited. His ministry, there must be an invitation you give the Holy Spirit into your life. So ask the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear and eyes to see. Then, lastly, another way, is what you sense God speak to you, run it by godly counsel. Run it by those who's lived a life of following Jesus, following His ways, hearing from God. Those are some ways. Now, I want to hit three main categories that I'm drawing out of this text and applying to us practically in the day and season we live in that I feel is an exhortation of how you and I would be in jeopardy. The first is we're in jeopardy of water-filled boats, in jeopardy of watery eyes, and in jeopardy of water-filled hearts. Now let me talk about the first of those three, in jeopardy of water-filled boats. If you're not aware, let me help you. You and I live in a lake community, whether you understand that or not. All around us is docks and camping sites and boaters. We live in this part of metro Atlanta in lake community. And so all throughout the weekend, in the summer, and even on today, you'll see people filling the lakes with boats. And a boat is a vessel for someone to have the means to float and to move on water. Now the boat is not the person or the persons in the boat, but it's a method and a means for the person or persons in the boat to move. And notice the disciples were in this boat. And when I think about a boat, it represents, and it can represent, the church. The church. Now what is the church? Well, the church is the Greek word ecclesia. It means those that have been called out. The church is people who have been called out of a world that is contrary to the ways of God. And we have been called out of that darkness, out of our sin, out of our selfishness, out of trying to be our own God, into the light of God through the person of Jesus. And the church is the called out ones. And when you get the church, the called out ones, gathering together in a local proximity or a local expression, it's called a local church. 
a local gathering of the called out persons. Now watch this. The church is not the kingdom of God, but the church is the primary vessel that the kingdom of God moves in and through. The kingdom of God, if you're not familiar with it, refers to the rule and the will of God. Anywhere you see that Jesus went and He preached the kingdom of God, it followed within demonstration of the will of God. Okay, So the kingdom of God represents the space in the here and now where the will of God is being enforced. Okay, The church, the people of God, is the primary vessel that the kingdom of God is revealed or manifested on the earth. Okay, So the church is not the kingdom, but we're a vessel for the kingdom of God. And as a vessel, local churches in the days we live in are vulnerable of being filled with water. Now, since Jesus' resurrection, since His resurrection, His followers, water-baptized followers, have gathered on this day Sunday since the very start. They have gathered like you and I are gathering today. Now, those gatherings obviously have looked different over the years. They didn't have air conditioning in the book of Acts. They didn't have these wonderful nice seats in the book of Acts. They didn't have buildings for hundreds of years. They had to meet in buildings called homes, homes of rich believers that were big enough to have space for believers to gather. But the church of Jesus Christ since its resurrection, the called out ones have gathered together on Sunday since that first resurrection morning that Jesus rose, vindicating and demonstrating that He is who He said He is, and He accomplished what He said He would accomplish. Now, so when we think about the church as a vessel for the kingdom of God, we also got to think about the gathering of God's people. And the gathering of God's people is vulnerable and in jeopardy in today. It's been for many uh, years and decades, really, in America. But even today is vulnerable to being watered down. Meaning, the priority and the purpose and the thinking of you and I of why we're doing what we're doing right now is in jeopardy of being watered down. Not raised up to the standard of what God wants, but being watered down with the standard of culture and thoughts of culture. See, listen to me. What we're a part of and doing right now is not like a TED Talk. This is not like going to some event that, that's just put on and we're just observers. No, no, no. Listen, this is the gathering of God's people. The gathering of God's people. And there is a difference between the gathering of the church and the going of the church. Now, here's why there's a vulnerability to the gathering of the church being filled and in jeopardy of being filled with the ways and the thoughts and the intents of the culture and the world around us. Did you know that the gathering of the church was not the primary way the early followers of Jesus engaged unbelievers? Let me, let me break it down. What you and I are doing right now was not the primary way that the early followers of Jesus engaged unbelievers or non-followers of Jesus. No, no, no. However, for many years, many churches in America have used the gathering as the primary means and context to reach unbelievers. Now, why is that important? 
Why does that lead to the gathering being watered down? Here's why. Because when that happens and the primary gathering is used just to speak to the unbeliever, the maturing of the saints and the believers gets pushed to the back seat. And when you get the maturing of God's people pushed to the back seat, what you get is the going of God's people to the culture anemic and weak. When you get the maturing of God's people not prioritized, then God's people ain't strong enough, filled enough, wise enough, equipped enough to be able to go into their job in their neighborhood in the streets and engage culture with the gospel of Jesus. And this shows in times like this where the culture and the church collide on issues. Our immaturity and the watering down of why we've been gathering becomes so revealed in times like this. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean unbelievers don't have a place? Of course not. You saw one of our priorities is that we would grow in our influence, broaden and deepen our influence of seeking believers. And this is what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, now listen, when you gather as the church, the called out ones, he says, there are those who come in who are uninformed and unbelievers. Meaning we have to make space for uninformed or unbelievers when we gather as a family. Now, I don't know about you, but there's times in my family gatherings growing up over the years where you had a cousin or you had a relative and they brought a friend. Sometimes there was a word attached to the friend, like boyfriend or girlfriend. But they came in. They're not a part of the family yet, but they're, giving, they're, they're able to have a live look and a live experience on the ways of the family. Space is made available for them. Now, based on the family that you come from, whether they had a good experience or not, <laughs> is really dictated on what kind of family members you have. But us, we're the people of God. We're the family of God. And so unbelievers and seekers have space to come in here and to look in and experience why the family of God gathers. And why do we gather? We gather as the body of Christ. We gather for the priority of the head of the body who's Jesus Christ. We gather as followers of Jesus and we gather to prioritize Jesus. To focus on Him. Why? Listen, because the water and the culture around us is not going to encourage you to focus on Jesus. The enemy uses the ways and the culture and unbelievers around us to do everything that he can to get our focus off of Christ. So we gather on Sunday to get our focus back on the head of all of us, Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Then, guess where your mouth is? Your mouth's not on your leg. And it's not on your arm. The mouth is on the head. So we gather to hear from Jesus the head. For Him to encourage us and speak to us and train us and correct us. But we gather to hear from Him. My point is this. The gathering of God's people is something that's supernatural. But we're vulnerable in the gathering 
of God's people being watered down where this is just a natural event. No, no, this is a supernatural event where we're gathering to a supernatural Lord and Savior who's overcome all things and we're gathering to praise Him and declare that He's the only one worthy among us, that He's the only one worthy to reign over the nations, that He alone is the hope of the nations, that He alone is the search of every seeking heart. And then we gather to praise Him, Ephesians 5. We gather, watch this, for Him to reveal the Father, Hebrews 2. Did you know that? It says that when we gather, that Jesus begins to reveal the Father. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, He comes down and He starts looking for open hearts and open lives, and He reveals and gives revelation, says, you've been wondering, does the Father care about this need? Oh, He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord your provider. You've been wondering about this decision and this, and then He reveals the Father to you. He's Jehovah Rohi, the Lord your shepherd. You've been worried and stressed about this, and He reveals, oh, He's Jehovah Shalom. He's the Lord your peace. We gather so that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, can reveal the Father to us. Also, to speak to us, Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 2, to direct us. Because there's this aspect is that we're the vessel for the kingdom of God. So we gather for Him to sound certain sounds, alarms, and to direct us as we go into society on what is the way of wisdom to engage them. To hear Scripture, 1 Timothy 4.13. Watch this. We gather so that Jesus can heal us of our own hurts. We gather, listen, not just to hear about Him, but to encounter Him. That song we sing, that's got to be the priority of us when we gather as God's people, that it not be watered down, but we gather because He still moves mountains. He still raised dead dreams and dead marriages and, and dead places in our heart. He still calls the barren places to come alive with His joy and His spirit again. We gather to pour ourselves out in our sorrow and our burdens for Him to fill us and touch us so that then we can go and be the salt and light that He's created us to be. My God, this should be a family place where we expect to encounter the Father. We expect for the supernatural to happen. We expect when we're going through things for God to speak prophetically to us. We expect when we got hurts that we come and the Holy Spirit touches and heals. We expect Jesus to lift our burdens and that we experience His yoke is easy in life. We come expecting the gathering of the church so that we can be filled and empowered for the going of the church the unbelievers we gather to hear and do notice in Luke 8.18 he said therefore take heed how you hear forever has to him will be more will be given and whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him so he says this take heed how you hear and to what you hear how do you hear we gather listen we gather not just to hear to be entertained we gather to hear what the Lord's saying through all that's being said to obey we're coming in, we're looking for the Lord to direct us, speak to us, encourage us, empower us for our going. 
Wherever you're going, wherever field he's got you in, whatever work he's got you in, whatever neighborhood he's got you in, whatever street he's got you on, whatever natural family he's got you in, whatever context he's got you in, we're coming to hear from him, to be empowered by him in our going to where he's placed us. See, Paul says in the last days in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 that people will not endure sound doctrine. Even professing followers and so-called Christians will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they'll have itching ears and they'll heap up for themselves teachers. And they turn their ears away from the truth. They just want fables and stories. So the gathering is in jeopardy of being watered down, but also the gospel is in jeopardy of being watered down. Listen to me. We preach a gospel of Jesus Christ that says that there is no, not one, good enough to have the relationship with God restored. There is no, no one, red or yellow, black and white, that through their own achievements or accomplishments can remove their sin and have their broken relationship with their Creator restored based on their own ability and achievement. We are all, according to Romans, unprofitable for what God is doing now. And therefore, because of that, the gospel says all people of every nation, of every color, must repent. Because the kingdom of God is now at hand and is breaking in on places on the earth. And it first breaks into the heart of people. Hearts of people that realize that they've been living in a different kingdom. It's actually a horrible kingdom. But it's so deceptive, people think that they can find joy in it. And they go from one dysfunctional family gathering to the next one. But all of the old creation is dysfunctional and heading to a course of judgment. So Jesus stands right in the center as God's door saying, Hey, though your sins have separated me and your selfishness has separated you from me. And though your lawlessness and you wanting to be your own king has separated, Jesus stands at the door of God saying, I still love you so much and I've made a way to bring you out of this world that is heading to a collision in judgment. And because Jesus has been provided, God commands everybody to repent, to change the preference of their will. They no longer want to swim in the course and the thinking and the pursuits and the desires of the world around us. And they changed the preference of their will of now preferring God's will above their own will. God's dream above their own dream. And they changed their mind. And then, that's why repentance is the first command or the first principle, Hebrews 6 and 1, of what relating to Jesus the Messiah looks like. First principle, repentance from dead works. Then second, faith. Faith. Now, we have an issue at times in Western Christianity with faith. Because we think about relating to God like, like a piece of paper. So, you know, we have marriage certificates and we have driver's license and, you know, we got uh, birth certificates. And we think in that way about relating to God. But it's, listen, it's not like that. Getting saved is not like getting a piece of paper that says you're saved and then we go about living the life we were living. Being saved is placing faith, which is relational trust, in Jesus 
who died and was buried and rose again and is the only one who has the authority to forgive us of our sin and past and do a miracle on the inside of us that saves us from our sin and selfishness. Meaning, salvation is always about relating to a person, Jesus. He alone is the foundation. It's about relating to Him. So when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, repentance and faith, you understand that now my entire life, every area of my life is about relating to Jesus. He alone is salvation. He alone is my right standing with God. Remember the parable of the sower that we read? That Jesus has to explain to his disciples. He talks about different conditions of the heart. But he says, there's only one heart that bears fruit. It's the heart who understands. Understanding by the Spirit is necessary. Understanding that the gospel is saying that you are guilty. But God still loves you. He's made a way to deal with your guilt, to deal with the wrongness of your heart, and to bring you into a right relationship with Him. And the only way to do that is by allowing and relating to Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life. Then when that happens, listen, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man or woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God. Meaning, God not only forgives, He makes us new on the inside. And it's what Titus 2 calls regeneration. And when this happens, you become part of the new family of God, which Scripture calls a new creation. There's now a new race on the earth called the new creation race who's made up in God's eyes no longer of Jew or Gentile. They have all been brought forth by the word of salvation, the gospel truth. And now we relate to one another amongst each other as those who have heard and done the will of God, repented and came into right relationship and following Jesus, Messiah King. A new heart, a new relationship a new identity, a part of a new people, and now we long for the new heavens and the new earth that we have been prepared for. A new heavens and a new earth where justice and peace rule and reign, unhindered, joy unspeakable, full of glory, peace flowing like a river. But we're vulnerable in jeopardy of watering down or gathering where it's just natural instead of supernatural, of watering down the gospel where we just, you know, talk about changing aspects of your life without realizing, no, the command is for all to repent and trust that only Jesus can fix how bankrupt and how wrong you and I have went because of our own sin and selfishness. And then lastly, when it comes in jeopardy, Here, this is the growth and the go. What is the growth and the go of why we're gathering? Look at this. Paul tells us, Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, verse 13, he says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, that means mature, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, that's actually babes in the Greek, little babies, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, 
may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Did you see the goal? Listen, the goal of why we gather is to grow up in all things into Him, Jesus Christ. Meaning the goal is you and I being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Listen, the goal is not to reach the masses. That's surprising to so many believers now because the purpose of why we gather has been watered down. The goal is for you and I to grow into the stature and the likeness of Christ so that when we go, we taste different than those around us. We smell different than those around us. We have character that's different than those around us. We are now demonstrating the character of the new creation of God that we are long-suffering and empathetic and full of love and compassion and humility and meekness and the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and self-control would adorn our lives that they don't just hear about some God and some Jesus and some kingdom, but they taste and experience what adorns us as the new creation people of God who have a hope for our King to return and create a new earth and new heavens where only righteousness and justice dwells. No more lawlessness and suffering and selfishness and sin. Notice Paul said, but there's this trickery of men. There are people actually deceitfully plotting to find the vulnerable amongst us and toss them to and fro to move them from a sense of stability to a sense of panic. Toss to and fro. Through the winds of doctrine. You know why there's winds of doctrine? Because these people just want to reach the masses because their God is themselves in their own belly. Instead of the God... And God's goal being the goal is that you and I mature to the image of Christ. DP, we express what Paul talks about there in a unique way in this phrase, manifesting Christ to many people in many ways. Did you see that Paul in Ephesians 4 said that you have a part? You have a share? You have a role? You have an anointing and a giftedness for effectively being involved? in the edifying and the building up of God's body in love? You have a place. You have a role. You have a part. So there's a vulnerability of in jeopardy regarding our boats, our local assemblies and churches being filled with water. Secondly, in jeopardy of watery eyes. Anybody else grow up swimming all summer? I did. In middle school and high school, we lived in a neighborhood where we didn't need a pool because everybody else had a pool. And, and all you had to figure out 
is what pool we were at at what time on each day. But one of the things we would do in the pool is we'd play pool basketball, John. And one of the things I learned is I learned how to have successful pool basketball defense. It's what I like to call watery eyes. That if you splash the other team in the eyes, they can't even see each other or the goal. It worked like a charm. But that's the point though. Is the devil in his kingdom knows the charm of that. That if he can get followers of Jesus to have watery eyes, eyes that are unable to focus... Eyes that are unstable. Proverbs says the fool keeps their eyes on the ends of the earth. That if he can keep us having watery eyes, we'll be unable to focus on the goal, which is Jesus Christ. As the head and leader and Lord of our life. Hebrews 12 says we're running a race. And the only way to run our race is that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the completer, the perfecter of our faith. Meaning this, you got to understand, you got to understand that there are spiritual hosts of wickedness, demons, and Satan's kingdom at work. And when we forget that, we are vulnerable to get watery eyes where we only look at what's happening in the natural the same way unbelievers look at it and we forget that behind every flesh and blood there is something supernatural working. Either God's Spirit working in a person's life or demons and principalities working to manipulate and move people. Now it's very simple to know the difference of moving. Jesus said, I come to give life and life more abundant. But the thief, Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the ways we can become unstable in our vision and lose our focus on Jesus is not recognizing the forms of media for what they are. Listen. Most contexts exist not for your service, but for you to serve them. A lot of companies don't exist for you. They exist for you to buy their products so that they can have the life they wanted. Meaning, when people have... Personal things involved, they're very easy to be manipulated. It's the old saying, follow the money. Here's my point. As followers of Jesus, we cannot forget that Satan is after the manipulation and the deception of the masses of people because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy the life that God has provided and offered through the person of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Now watch this. Did you know what caused the fame of Jesus to spread? Listen, it wasn't, it wasn't just common acts that society around Him deemed accept, acceptable. 
we read the type of act that actually caused Jesus' fame to spread. If you go read in the gospel narratives of what caused the fame of Jesus to spread initially, you'll find that it was him casting out demons. It was his ability to not just see beyond the natural of what was taking place and why people acted certain ways, but the ability to confront and set people free. Meaning, we're in jeopardy of a watering down where all we do is look at mere flesh and blood and as the people of God forget that there is a greater agenda of Satan and his kingdom trying to move towards this goal of lawlessness. Now look at this, Ephesians 6, 10 and 13. Paul says, finally my brethren. Why finally? Because he's just spent six chapters talking through some stuff. But then he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. There are rulers and spiritual hosts of wickedness that try to move and manipulate masses of people and unbelievers into further darkness, confusion, destruction, and hurt. Now watch this. We will just run along with the manipulation if we forget to see beyond the natural that you and I, as far as we're not wrestling against flesh and blood but demon principalities and powers. Paul, he writes the church in Thessalonica, and he says, hey, the lawless, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. But it can't have full expression because there's a restraint. But there's coming a day that the restraint will be removed, and then the lawless one will be revealed. And he will work through the ability and the power of Satan, there will be unrighteous deception. It will deceive those that perish. But watch this. Then it says why they perish. It's not because God doesn't want them to come to repentance and faith in Jesus. It says they perish because they do not love the truth. They don't love the truth. Listen, the devil has a global agenda. And that's to try to rule and keep captive nations of the world to his kingdom of despair, destruction, spiritual death and poverty and hurt and fear. See, listen, I still believe the book of Revelation is dual prophecy. What that means is I believe that there's elements that have already been fulfilled in the days right after what John was talking about, but it also has a dual prophecy that speaks to the last days that there will be an Antichrist. And there is a push for the devil to be able to control and manipulate the masses of people through a mark. There's no buying and selling or trading apart from an adherence to lying deception and wonders of an Antichrist.
Now, I don't know if you noticed in our story, but there's this connection of demons and waters, which goes back to the metaphor that I told you Scripture represents, of waters representing the nations, the unbelievers, and how the great harlot sits over it. Did you notice in the story that Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples and he says, let us go on to the other side. On the way, a big storm seemingly comes out of nowhere. And now they're in jeopardy of being filled with the water. Now, if you're not good uh, in boating, the boat's okay to float as long as the water it's floating on doesn't get in the boat. But if the water it's floating on gets in the boat, then there's a problem. And it said they're in jeopardy. Did you realize that when they got to the other side, did you see what met them? A man that was demon-possessed. And Jesus, who enforced the rule and reign of God, where it was welcome, set that man free from all those demons. Now watch this. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Now this storm comes out of nowhere through water, and on the other side where he's going is a man demon-possessed. Do you see the resistance of the evil? Now watch this. Jesus tells all followers, he's basically, I'm going to the other side called heaven to be with the Father, but I'm coming back for you. He's gave us that word. And as we have launched out in following Jesus, we should not be surprised that on the way of waiting and worshiping for Jesus to return, the enemy stirs up some storms and some wind and some contrary wind and some waves to try to put us in jeopardy of seeing us make it to the other side. Ready and waiting. As with the Spirit of God, the bride say, Come, Lord Jesus. There's a connection. Did you see the connection that after he cast out the demons, they asked for permission to go in the pigs? He gave it. And where did they then influence the pigs to go? They ran into the water. Listen, the devil is always trying to move people into this collective maddening and manipulation of the masses because he knows where it ends. He knows the mystery of lawlessness where it ends. And as followers of Jesus, Paul said, having done all, don't forget that we are to see things differently and having done all, we're to stand. And spiritual armor, the weapons of our warfare that are mighty in God. You remember Peter? He once was in a boat and Jesus was walking on the water. And he says, Lord, if it's you, I want to get out there and influence. I want to speak. I want to reach people on the water. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water and I'll come. He said, Peter, it's me. He said, come. He'll say, I want to get out of the boat. Like Peter. Now, Peter was commanded to get out of the boat. You just get out there, try to save and reach who you want to save and reach. You can get outside the protection of God. And before long, you're in a whirlwind and a tailspin and you're feeling just like unbelievers. And you've lost your hope and you've lost your joy and you've lost your peace, you've lost your focus. But Peter steps out, watch this, not on his own, on the Word of God. People say Peter walked on water. He didn't walk on water because when you go study the Greek word for faith, it means foundation. 
And what creates faith is not you and I mustering up. The burden for faith is not on us. Faith comes when we have ears to hear and eyes to see what Jesus speaks to us. So Peter wasn't walking on water. He was walking on faith, the substance that the Word created in front of him. Faith in Jesus. But do you remember what happened? The wind's blowing. Storm, and he starts shifting his eyes off Jesus and he starts sinking. See, as people of God, we're in jeopardy constantly as we're waiting for the return of Jesus for us to get our eyes on the wind and what's wrong and the waves of what's wrong instead of Him who's already overcame all wrongs and is right and is righteous and is beautiful and is worthy. Jesus Christ and Him alone. So listen, when we're in the transition, in the waiting period for Jesus to return, the anchor isn't what you and I see and feel. The anchor is what He, Jesus, has already said and is saying. Don't forget what Jesus has already said. A word in season, author's faith and biblical faith is defined as the substance of things unseen but it's unshakable and you can still walk on it. What I'm trying to say is, is don't get a watered-down vision. If the Lord promised you some things before, what's going on in the world doesn't change what Jesus has already said. Jesus said, launch out. And after they launched out in obedience, their things tried to challenge it. But that's why Jesus told them the parable of the Word. Is don't let the tribulation, don't let the bitterness, don't let where people wronged you, don't let what's happened to you get in your heart and steal and choke the Word. Hold fast to the Word He's put in your heart. And I want to tell dwelling place that Jesus told us to launch out. And we relaunch. And we can't allow what's happening in the world to distract us from what Jesus Christ has commanded and already said and called us to. Casey, you can come. Now watch this. When you think about this story, you'll find that all Old Testament is a type of Jesus. You remember the Old Testament type of Jonah? Jonah was in a boat, and Jonah had a storm. But Jonah surrendered to his storm, watch this, because he was resisting going to the other side. Jesus, the fulfillment of Jonah was surrendered and determined to go to the other side so he didn't surrender to the storm. He made the storm surrender to him. When you and I are determined that we're going to the other side, Jesus' return, and we're going to be found waiting and worshiping and blameless and in holiness, then we find that in that there's authority in Jesus to not surrender to the storm and not allow the water to get in our eyes and the water to get in our boat, but we resist and we make the storm surrender and submit to us. Can we get the body of Christ to stand and say that in the name of Jesus in God, God's people, there's not going to be division and bitterness and strife and animosity, but the peace and the rule of Jesus shall reign. That there's unity in Christ in God's people. So in jeopardy of water-filled boats, watery eyes, and lastly, in jeopardy of water-filled hearts. Jesus, he warned about the last days. He said, 
In Luke 21, lest your hearts be weighed down, watered down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Jesus, in the last moments with his disciples, he begins to teach them and he says, Look, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave you for a time. And he says, Because I've said this, sorrow has now filled your heart. But then he tells them, He said, But I will return. And I'm about to do something that you don't understand. He's about to be raised from the dead. He said, in that day, joy will come. But he said, I tell you what I tell you now so that when you see it, you believe that I'm above all things and I'm the Alpha and Omega. I know the beginning from the end and everything in between. That there's nothing that happens on the earth or happens on your path that he's not already aware of. And he says, I tell you beforehand that you'll believe how supreme and how much greater I am and that I'm Lord and that I'm reign and my kingdom is at hand. And then on that cross, I don't know if it's ever stood out to you, but the Bible says He gives up His spirit. They were amazed that He died as early as He did because they didn't understand the spiritual and what was taking place. But just to make sure the soldiers went, they took a spear and they jabbed it up through, underneath the ribs, up. And it said that then water and blood flowed out. Now most doctors will tell you that what they believe that represents is Jesus literally died from a heart that burst from stress and sorrow. Now listen to me. The days we live in as we wait for Jesus to return. We are vulnerable and in jeopardy of us having our hearts filled with sorrow instead of it bubbling with joy. But listen, Jesus allowed His heart to burst with sorrow so that now His resurrection life on the inside of us can cause us to bubble with joy and that's one of the reasons we gather as we're walking out in the world and we hear this story and sorrow tries to fill our heart then we hear this and sorrow tries to fill our heart and we're believing for this person or this family and sorrow begins to fill our heart but we come into the gathering and the Holy Spirit the light of God the anointing of God begins to move and He says remember I told you these tribulations, these difficulties would come. But take heart. Do not fear. Do not be troubled for I have overcome it. And we come so that we can pour out sorrows and burdens here as a family. So that we can be filled with joy to go back out there in our going. Because listen to me. Sorrow-filled hearts won't reach sorrow-filled hearts. They need a manifestation of the kingdom where Jesus and Paul said, it's not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not that we don't care. It's not that it don't sorrow. It's that we learn to identify that Jesus took all the sorrow. People say, no one understands what it's like living in my shoes, in my skin, what I'm going through. Lie. Jesus does. Because He became every emotion you've ever felt 
that's negative, every hurt that's ever been done to you, every wrong you've ever done, every wrong that was done to you, He became it and experienced it on the cross so much that His heart burst with stress and sorrow. And He did that so that you and I wouldn't continue to carry the sorrow. That we would not have our hearts watered down and weighed down with sorrow, but that His life, a life that overcomes everything, can overcome what's hit us and came against us so that we still bubble with joy. And that's attractive. In a broken world, a spring bubbling of joy and peace in the midst of chaos and madness, that gets people's attention. And that's how we give a defense of the hope that we have. He tells them in John 14, 27, band, you can come. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And now I've told you beforehand it comes that when it does come, you may believe. Jesus said, nation will rise against nation. There'll be pestilences. There'll be great earthquakes. There'll be famines. Father and mother and people will turn against each other. Party spirit will prevail. The love of money will go. The love of self will increase. The love of many will grow cold. Bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred will increase. But He's told us as His followers all these things beforehand. So that when we come, we're not shocked and surprised like unbelievers. Because we've actually surrendered to a biblical narrative that there is no hope for this existing world. All of it is a false temporary hope. And what will eventually be celebrated as the hope of the nations will be a false antichrist and a false hope and deceptive wonders. Jesus said, I tell you all of this beforehand so that when it happens, you're not surprised and overwhelmed with sorrow, but you can realize and look to me that I've overcome it. That there is, I love this, a, a, a pastor, I believe it was Michael Todd, he, he was asked, he's like, do you believe in, in racial reconciliation? He said, oh yeah, absolutely. He said, in the end, it's an absolute because in the kingdom, there's every tongue and every tribe and every nation living, surrendered under the reign of Jesus Christ. You and I, we know these things so that we're not overwhelmed. But we allow His joy to bubble up because we know in the end all the wrongs will be made right. Peace and righteousness and joy will rule in and through Christ over the nations of the world. But we're vulnerable. We're in jeopardy of being hearts filled with sorrow instead of bubbling with joy. Recently, we were not too long ago at the beach and my littlest, I had given and trusted to her some, some sand and beach toys. So she took them and she went down close to the water and she began to play and because I entrusted them to her, I began to observe and watch and the water was coming in. And, and as it was coming in, it was starting to touch some of the toys and they were vulnerable to being in jeopardy of being washed away. 
So I went to her and said, you got to understand, I, I entrusted these to you and, and they can't be swept down to the ocean. you got to watch because they're vulnerable. The tide's coming in of, of being washed out. And when I thought about that, I thought about what Paul told Timothy. He said, something's been entrusted to you. The ability to gather with other brothers and sisters, that's been entrusted to all of us. The ability to declare not a watered-down gospel, but a supernatural gospel, that's been entrusted to us. Knowing the end before it comes, but yet Jesus has overcome it, that's been entrusted to all of us. And Paul tells Timothy, Old Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And I thought, we got to realize that we're in jeopardy. But there's been some things entrusted to us. And may we not have water-filled boats or watered-down gospel or weighed-down hearts. But let us allow Christ's joy, as we sang, to be our strength in times like this. You want to know how to stay pure? Jesus tells you in John 7, 15 through 24. See, oftentimes we think we'll stay pure if we'll first know God's will. That's not what Jesus said. He said, if you want to know if God's speaking to you, if God's leading you to do it, whether it's of God or of man, if it's doctrine and right teaching from God or man, if you want to stay pure, here's what he said. He said, first, will to do the Father's will. He said, then you'll know. Oftentimes, you and I, we want to know what the Father's will is and then decide if we'll go. That's not how you stay pure. You have to first surrender and want to do His will above anything else in your life. And when you're that surrendered, then you will consistently be given more revelatory knowledge of God the Father's will for you. Meaning you already decide before you even know what we're deciding about. Why? Because we are following the one who's told us things beforehand. Therefore, he's worthy for us to entrust our future to him. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.